Where do you think you're gonna put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that Consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious and discuss the significance and impact of it with a guest, who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic which I will then watch and report back on. And seeing it as, uh, at least as the, the posting of this episode will be December and Christmas time this month, I'm exploring some foreign language Christmas films from none other than the man who literally wrote the book on Christmas movies, Alonzo Duralde. Thanks for coming back again, Alonzo. Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, I think we're now a tradition. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that too. This is because twice is a coincidence, three times becomes a trend. <laughs> no question. And, you know, uh, especially a trend at Christmas time means, you know, uh, a thing maybe people look forward to, I hope. <laughs> yes. I, I know I certainly have. You, you've kind of entered into the, uh, I guess, the I Do Movies Badly uh, Mount Rushmore, um, becoming a, th- a three-time guest. I believe the only one who has surpassed you is uh, Tyler Smith of Battle for Pretension, who has come on four times, I believe. Well, I, I'm happy to be in that company. Well, and and now you've got a full year at least to start thinking of a theme for next year. I suppose I'm I'm, <laughs> not, I, I'm wondering how how else we can kind of stretch this Christmas theme further. Oh, it, believe me, welcome to my career. <laughs> I, I, we, I got I have an endless uh, array of ideas here. <laughs> well, but before we get into the the Christmas the movie talk, the one thing I want to say: How was your Thanksgiving, Alonzo? Uh, it was great. Um, my husband decided this year that. Uh, he was going to face the challenge of making the whole thing by himself. Wow. Apart from mashed potatoes, which is my my tiny area of expertise. <laughs> and he he pulled out all the stops. Like, the turkey was perfect and juicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made, you know, the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows on top and uh, uh, spinach artichoke mac and cheese and wow. this great salad and uh, a corn pudding and just like all the uh, a cherry pie a pumpkin pie like he just did it all and 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 it lived to tell the tale what was was this just for the two of you or were you hosting people <laughs> no this was we had about 15 people over. <laughs> okay that, that makes more sense i was gonna say your husband uh really must love you if, if you went through all that effort <laughs> How was yours? It, it was it was absolutely wonderful. We uh we opted we dabbled my fiance and I dabbled with the idea of hosting and, and making some food, but we uh only dabbled with it quickly before we abandoned that idea and decided to go out. Um and we ended up going to a, a restaurant called uh Red Rooster, which if you're a Manhattan resident, I'm sure you've heard of. It's the the chef or the the restaurant that is owned by uh, Chef Marcus Samuelson. Um and it was uh it was all kind of like um southern country fried kind of themed food and it was all um, absolutely amazing. It was a uh, first time I've ever had collard greens. I have to say they're not my thing, but everything else was the the mashed potatoes, the uh, the turkey was wonderful, the uh, stuffing, everything was quite wonderful. And I'm already kind of uh, missing all that food. Well, my experience with greens is uh, enough bacon fat can make any of them palatable. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and it's 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 not. And I, I should say it's not as though it's like, oh, I've tasted bettered collard greens. I had never had them until that night, and I'm like, oh well, you know, I, I had to try them at least once, and uh, they're not my thing. But everything else was was absolutely fantastic. So, great. But um, uh, no Black Friday shopping for us. We are uh, Black Friday podcasting, uh, of course. So now, Alonzo, th- this is it's interesting that I can talk to you now because 
we are now sort of uh, talking in, in a day and age where the dam for Christmas movies has sort of broken wide open because you not just have your regular streaming channels, but you have your Hallmark channel every year kind of doing stuff. And with Disney Plus and all these other things, there just seems to be, we seem to be kind of oversaturated with Christmas movies. And I actually kind of wanted to first talk to you about that because is this a good thing in in your opinion? Or is it just sort of like now, now you know, diminishing returns and everything, there's just too much and, and too you know, we're, we're trying too hard now with things. Well, it's kind of weird. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I read comic books very voraciously mm-hmm. and they were not cool and they were not um, adapted well to television or film. And now suddenly I'm an adult and discover that the Avengers, which was a comic book I've been reading since I was in junior high, are now suddenly <laughs> at the center of the pop culture universe. Yeah. So it's a little weird now to see that Christmas has taken off in this way. And <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, you know, I, I'm look, I'm thrilled with more content. I, I love that there's stuff out there. I love that there's an audience that's being, uh, you know, create and I'm not created, but but that the people are acknowledging there are people out there that have a, a hunger for this kind of material every year. I went to Christmas con this year, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, which was which was crazy and amazing and, and really fascinating. But, you know, it, it, it's sort of like this kind of fandom that nobody ever acknowledged was a fandom before and now suddenly, you know, hear it roar. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and at the same time, I I find with streaming channels, the sort of same frustration I have with streaming channels when it comes to every other kind of movie, which Mm -hmm. is that there's so much great stuff that is not available, you know? People think that the, the 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 promise of streaming meant oh you push a button and just everything ever made comes into your living room it's like no everything <laughs> uh, ever made is being very much channeled by the large corporations that own them and they make some things available and some stuff if you know if it's some from some indie distributor that went belly up or for whatever reason the rights expire and it just you know like putting this list together for you today a lot of my favorite stuff uh, that is a foreign language Christmas movie I just could not find and, mm. and it. It's not available in the U.S. Like if you go and dig around and find the Blu-ray or the DVD, sure. But streaming-wise, you know, uh, it, it definitely sort of limited my options. I, I'm still happy with the three that I, I came up with, but um, certainly there's a lot of stuff that's in the book that is not readily available on streaming. And if nothing else, as you mentioned, because there is such a glut of material now, I think it makes the book all the much more valuable because at least you have sort of a curated list that I put together of, of things that I think are good and you know, that are focused to whatever interests you might also be, you know, wanting to pursue, whether it's I want to see a comedy, I want to see an action movie, I want to see a horror movie, you know. Um, and, yeah, there is there's a gajillion things out there. So the book at least will give you a little insight as to what this is and why I think it's worth watching. And maybe you'll think it's worth watching, too. Mm-hmm. And, and the book that he is talking about, of course, is Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, which I have plugged on this podcast before. And that's actually a good segue into my next question, because I was thinking with all this stuff that keeps coming out year after year, are you sort of like hey i should probably update or write a new book or does it just get to a point where like i'm exhausted because there's just too much (laughs) um no i mean it's definitely something that i've kicked around and 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 you know even if like you know the 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 book uh pretty much does not cover any like of the hallmark lifetime school stuff. i had a couple of tv movies in there but they're ones from like the 70s (laughs) uh but even even if i continued on that path like there's enough theatrical and cable stuff from the last, you know, few years since the book came out that I could probably pull off, if not a second, a whole second volume, at least a sort of annotated or updated second edition. (laughs) And frankly, I think there's also a book to be written about the Hallmark stuff as well. So, you know, uh, maybe that's going to get tackled at some point. (laughs) And what was what was the decision behind 
not including TV movies? Is it a quality thing or was it just sort of you, you were more going on what might be significant or important, wh- wh- whatever that subjectivity may mean? Well, you know, this year Hallmark is celebrating the 10th anniversary of the countdown to Christmas, and 10 years ago is when I was writing the book. <laughs> so Hallmark had not really become a big thing yet, and the Lifetime Christmas movie was sort of like easily sort of shrugged off. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't it didn't have the cultural footprint that it has now. I think if I write in the book now, I would have to at least acknowledge the existence of those movies mm-hmm. uh, and be, you know, devote a chapter to them or whatever. But at the time, they really had not become the sort of behemoth that they are now. So it didn't it didn't seem like a, a, a radical exclusion to not get into them. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed all this is something that I'm I'm kind of thinking of on the fly here, but it's the idea of 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 a Christmas movies used to be sort of in a way sort of like a, a niche thing and now with the availability of, of everything there's sort of I, I see almost kind of equivalency in the sense of like uh, you know quote unquote nerd properties like Dungeons and Dragons or Lord of the Rings or Wheel of Time or something used to be sort of like a, hey keep that stuff quiet and now there's sort of this embracing of it in pop culture and people are sort of like oh yeah I'm a nerd and they kind of like loudly proclaim it whereas now there's almost sort of this uh, an influx of people who are more than happy to try and you know, sit down and watch Christmas movies for two or three weeks at a time. Are are you seeing that too, or am I just kind of uh, or be becoming more cynical and Grinch like in in my in my old age? No, it's definitely a bigger deal. I mean, I think with the with the emergence uh, emergence of things like Christmas Con, it's really sort of kind of putting a fine point on the fact that there is a big following for this stuff. And you know, I think often with this with these sort of things, it, it's you know, it's hard to figure out what's the dog and what's the tail. You know, but. <laughs> Clearly, you know, Hallmark, when they do their Christmas stuff at the end of the year, and they start in late October, um, you know, from before Halloween through New Year's, they have like they own the fourth quarter like they they get higher ratings, especially (laughs) among like their targeted sort of women 25 to 54 and 18 to 34 demos. They get more viewers than the major networks. They, They get higher ratings overall than like ESPN and like the usual sort of champs. And so obviously people notice that and then they want to get in on it. And so you've got like Netflix decides they're going to do some Christmas movies and own has three of them this year and lifetime is upping their game. And so, you know, and then, and then once that becomes a bigger thing, then the audience grows exponentially and, you know, back and forth and back and forth. So I think it starts with a core audience that's already there. Mm -hmm. And, and once, once that audience is large enough for somebody to aim things at them, then other people want to aim things at them too, you know? And so now you have Hallmark with both of their channels, with with their regular and with movies and mysteries, showing Christmas movies all year long, like not not 24-7, but like every Thursday night on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, there's a Christmas movie. Every Friday night on Hallmark, there's a Christmas movie, and they do good numbers. And then they do a big chunk of them in July, and they get good numbers. And so, you know, um, it's just that that's sort of magical thing where like advertisers start noticing and networks want to accommodate advertisers and you know uh and so it goes from there when when will the bubble burst or is this is this something that pardon the pun will will sort of be evergreen <laughs> a good question and and i think people are trying to figure that out now i mean this year for example i think hallmark had this big plan where they were going to do their premieres like Thursdays and Fridays on Movies and Mysteries and then Saturdays and Sundays on the regular Hallmark channel. Mm-hmm. And the Thursday Friday ratings were not 
hitting the numbers they expected. So now all of the premieres are happening on Saturday and Sunday, even though they're programming against each other with their two channels. Uh, <laughs> but they still apparently managed to do, they do, they have great premiere numbers from that. And then they re repurpose those movies throughout the season and throughout the years to come, you know. Um, at some point, I would imagine, yeah, there, there has to be a satiation point. But <laughs> sure. so far, no one knows what that is. Right. I, I'm, I'm picturing, it's funny, in my head, two versions of you in the future, one in the near future and one in the distant future. In the near future, um, Alonzo Duralde on Twitter or something kind of being like, yeah, well, I was into Christmas before it was cool. <laughs> or even further down the line in some type of dystopian future, you sitting on the end of a bar, sipping a glass of whiskey with a cigarette and just being like, Christmas, huh? I remember that name. You know, that kind of... Which it, <laughs> just, just in this timeline where, like, the bubble has burst and Christmas is sort of like been abandoned or, or it's, it's no longer a cool thing to embrace, I guess. Yeah, I mean, everything peaks and valleys. At some point, you know, Marvel movies will stop making money, but we haven't gotten there yet, and so we'll see what that looks like. And, you know, I mean, thankfully, Christmas is not the only card in my deck. I am an actual film critic, and I do <laughs> talk about other movies throughout the year. But, you know, I've discovered also that the, the, the easiest way to become an expert in something is be be an expert in a thing that no one else is interested in being an expert in, you know. Right, yeah. So, yes, I, I certainly don't mean to, to, to pigeonhole you, but uh, but clearly th this is a this is a trend and a tradition, if you will, of you coming on here and talking about this. And as, as sort of the Christmas expert, give me your honest assessment. Are we celebrating earlier and earlier every year like i remember this year i think this was the first year i could honestly remember seeing a christmas commercial on halloween day <laughs> um you know yeah the, the, I, I think christmas creep has been an ongoing thing and, and like i said I, I was i was watching those hallmark movies in april you know i, I I'm, I'm guilty <laughs> of it as anybody um you know, I, I think right now uh, people are kind of traumatized by the world as it exists. I think people feel helpless. People feel like stuff has gotten worse than it's been before and that maybe we aren't going to be able to undo, you know, climate change or uh, the the uh, impact of, 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 you know, corporations on, you know, free elections or on our daily lives. And so, you know, Christmas becomes this respite. It's this sort of like pure happy thing that hasn't been tainted in a way that, that, you know, we can use it as an escape and people want escapes right now. Mm -hmm. No, we, we, I was having a conversation with a coworker the other day who was complaining about how all Christmas movies are sad, which honestly is the first time I've ever heard a criticism like that. But I think what, what I, what my pushback was or my answer to it was basically like, well, I, I think all Christmas movies get to that, quintessential end of act two low sad moment because there has to be some form of redemption and lightness which is sort of the the telltale you know sign of a christmas movie sure um yeah i mean i would say about yeah 90 percent of, of films do kind of follow that trajectory uh you know i think i think hallmark as formulaic as it is like they never let things get too despairing but you know they do have to throw in some sort of roadblock between you know girl from the city and a hunky small town you know flannel <laughs> shirt wearing guy you know so that they do get that happy ending mm -hmm. amelia clark's last christmas did you see it what did you think <laughs> Uh, I did, and you know, I, it's funny. In talking about that movie, it sort of made me realize I've become like those horror people who will say, "Yeah, the movie wasn't very good, but it had some really good kills in it." <laughs> uh, I had whatever the Christmas equivalent of that is, which is like I acknowledge there are narrative problems with that movie and tonal shifts that don't always work, and a twist that was obvious from the trailers. Uh, <laughs> 
But at the same time, like, I think, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, a, a, a movie that kind of captures this sort of completely artificial London, you know, as this kind of yuletide bauble in the same way that like, well, I mean, you know, even more so my, my husband said that love, that this movie made love actually look like train spotting. Um, (laughs) But you know, there is something about like the sort of excess of kitsch and excess of twinkle lights and redemption for its heroine uh, and, and sort of mood of general uplift that, that kind of, pushed the right buttons for me, even though I know it it was not what I had hoped for from a film that was, you know, co-written by Emma Thompson and directed by Paul Feig. Sure. Um, I just found it interesting that after uh, eight years of Game of Thrones, this was the first big project that Amelia Clark chooses to do after that, which I guess makes sense because the pendulum kind of swung in the exact opposite direction. Yeah, I mean, I could see her being like, okay, wait, it's modern day, and no one, I don't have to kill anyone, and I get to sing? Sure, count me in. Oh, she sings in it? Yeah, she she sings Last Christmas at the end of the film. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Well, and then I guess tying into that, so obviously there's that big push every year from all these streaming services uh, with their their new combating titles uh, for, for Christmas. Netflix has theirs, Hulu has theirs, and obviously with um, uh, Apple TV and all this kind of thing, there, there's a whole sort of new one. So I guess just off the top of your head, if you could, what are some... Uh, we won't. This is not the the purpose of this episode. But what are some new ones that are coming out? Which is just like if, if someone's into it, like yeah, on Netflix, check out this one. On Hulu, check out this one. Just just off the top of your head. Sure. Well, Netflix has a couple of interesting ones so far. Uh, there's an animated film called Klaus, mm-hmm. which is kind of a Santa Claus origin story. And uh, I wasn't crazy about all of the sort of comedic elements of it, but I think as far as the kind of seasonal uplift and the 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 capturing the magic of the story, it's really quite well done, and the, the animation is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've watched a lot of Santa origin stories over over time, and that's a, that's a tough one to get right, because you can either, uh, you know, get so practical about explaining everything that you take the magic away from it, or you paint yourself into a sort of theological corner in terms of, like, who believes and who doesn't believe. Sure. Uh, this one manages to skate past that stuff pretty well. And it's it, it's really, I, I could see it one that would become like a family go-to, you know, year after year, people who are, who are getting into it right now. Um, and then there's also a YA movie they did called Let It Snow, mm-hmm. um, which is about a bunch of uh, loosely connected high school kids, uh, you know, in this small town on, it's either Christmas Eve or December 23rd, uh, you know, and, and various, you know, crises and, and, and romantic calamities occur. And uh, what's great about it is that one of the principal stories, it, it, it's, you know, it, 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 it's a lot of interlocking uh, uh, stories. One of them is about uh, a girl who is in love with another girl. Oh. And, you know, there's, you know, the, the rap just did a piece about these sort of you know, queer invisibility on Hallmark. And, you know, I think Lifetime this year has four movies where there's at least sort of B characters who are LGBTQ. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, for the most part, we we tend to be absent from Christmas movies because I think, you know, for a long time, you know, the, 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 the thought of like, you know, I- inclusiveness and quote unquote family values did not seem, you know, like they would work together. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think we deserve to be turned into, you know, uh, lovely bland people as much as anybody else in a cable movie does. Um, but yeah, so the, the ones in Netflix are actually interesting and fun and the film as a whole, I think is really charming. So I liked it a lot. And then Disney plus has a film called Noel that was originally supposed to be a Disney theatrical release. Um, 
And it's, uh, I, I said, it's, it's, it's a wonderful 60-minute TV special inside of a 90-minute movie. Um, <laughs> and Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader star as uh, Santa's children, basically, and it's been a sort of patriarchal uh, uh, title being passed down. And so when the previous Santa dies, Bill Hader is supposed to take over, but he's does not quite have it down, and he winds up running off. And um, Anna Kendrick has to go find him. Uh, because otherwise they're going to make her cousin Billy Eichner uh, Santa, and he just wants to send everybody stuff via Amazon Prime. And it turns out, of course, that you know Noel is the one who really should be the new Santa. Sure, and, uh, it's 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 quite fun, and she's really good. And there's a really great ensemble cast. Uh, Shirley MacLaine is also in it, and Julie Hagerty and Michael Gross. So you know, it's it's worth a look. Interesting. It, it sounds a bit like Succession, but for Christmas. Not too far from that, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, one, one, uh, one more question before we kind of get into the, the topic at hand. But um, Alistair Sim, Michael Caine, George C. Scott, who is the best Ebenezer Scrooge and why? Oh, God. Don't make me choose my babies. I mean, I'm going to put Ralph Penny in there as a finalist, too. Oh, um, forget about him, yeah. I mean, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, you know, I mean, Alistair Sim has sort of held the held the the crown or the nightcap for you know about 60 years now and it's it's pretty or 70 maybe it's it's undeniable i mean he's amazing but i do love george c scott's just sort of relish of scrooge's you know lesser qualities like he really has a great time with the sort of just the evil of this guy and and i think has the best bah humbug of anybody um but if any of those are your favorite you're not wrong okay because i was going to say michael kane um it, w- it has to be mine uh but i i have a, a soft spot and a fondness for the muppets i must be honest with you uh, it, it, that was one of those when i was younger that was one of those vhs tapes that i i watched over and over and over again until i believe my brother kind of hit it on a shelf that i could not reach at the time <laughs> so that i would stop watching it um but there's a uh, there's a lovely new storybook version of that this year. Uh, I've seen it. Um, that's that's quite nice. That has you know illustrated versions of Michael Caine and of all the Muppet characters doing the thing. And so like if you if you know somebody young and want to give them a nice first exposure even before they see the movie, the, the it's a nice book. Now, do you know? Because I, I know it's on Disney Plus now. Do you know? In the Disney Plus version, did they reinsert the song "The Love Is Gone," or is that still just out because kids found it boring? Oh, you know, I have not gone back and watched, so I don't know. Okay. But uh, I, I, I do know that they changed the Han Greedo scene yet again. So. <laughs> <laughs> that the the least the, the less said about that, the better, I suppose. But um, so okay, so foreign language Christmas movies. This was a, a kind of an interesting twist that I wanted to not twist, but a, a different angle on, on sort of the, the same thing. And so first and foremost, I, I guess I just kind of want to ask you as someone who is sort of the expert and who has watched numerous ones, ones, one Christmas titles, if you will, there we go. I know how to speak. Um, what kind of do you find as, as differences between how we as like an American society approach the Christmas season versus others in some of these films. And obviously there's a superficial thing in the sense of different kinds of, of decorating uh, decorations and that sort of stuff. But at the core, especially in these movies, do you kind of see them going back to the same themes or is there sort of like a cultural differences that are just kind of subtly making their way into them? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, it's, we have to remember when we're talking about foreign films that, that, you know, unless you live in the country, uh, you know, uh, being discussed, pretty much we have to kind of go on what gets released in the United States. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's not like I'm getting a full comprehensive view. Um, 
You know, I think it's a mix of things. Uh, you definitely see sort of the American Christmas kind of creeping into other cultures. Like I know myself, uh, my parents were both born in Spain, and uh, and my oldest sister wound up marrying a Spaniard and 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 living there and raising her kids there. Hmm. And so I've noticed over the years that it used to be that you know, especially in your Catholic countries. Uh, people, kids did not write letters to Santa Claus. They would write letters to the three kings, oh. and they open their presents on Christmas. They open their presents on Epiphany, which is the twelfth day of Christmas, yeah, which sure. is the, the day that supposedly the, the wise men finally showed up at the uh, at the manger. Um, but I think Santa Claus has kind of worked his way into uh, the culture into a, in a lot of these countries. And now a lot of times you'll see sort of a split of both where like early on there's like something they get something from Santa on Christmas and they get something from the three kings on, on the on the 6th of January. Mm. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, like, and little details will pop up like uh, there's a one of the movies that I wanted to include but couldn't find streaming anywhere is a comedy called La Bouche um, with. Uh, with Charlotte Gainsbourg, and there's a scene in which the uh, two of the it's about the three sisters of the holidays, and two of them have just finished very complicatedly trussing up a turkey, before realizing they have forgot to put the truffles in the stuffing, mm -hmm. and no Christmas is ruined. And it's like, okay, I didn't know that was a thing, but I guess in France, you know, you got better have truffles in your turkey or don't waste my time, you know. <laughs> so you pick up on little things like that. Um, but like also in La Buche, they they very intentionally use a loud chorus singing jingle bells in English under the opening credits with these like really sort of garish Parisian light displays mm -hmm. as sort of like a, here's everything you hate about Christmas and so you know <laughs> uh, clearly the American influence is part of that right yeah and and I, I was so every year uh, I went on my personal Facebook page I try and do something on you know each day in December of like. Uh, you know, Christmas Day one, and then I'll fill in the blanks. And so two years ago, I did sort of like different Christmas celebrations around the country. And then last year, I did how different countries celebrate Christmas. And you kind of realize here, especially the, the movies we watch, and like you said, the ones that are kind of released to us, how really Eurocentric a lot of them are. Because I remember once, you know, I kind of started moving across the globe. And once you get into something like, you know, Japan, which doesn't really celebrate Christmas, or they have a, I believe it's like the KFC Christmas or something where people kind of... <laughs> order a fast food KFC and eat it on Christmas Day, and that's kind of the celebration. And and I found that to be <laughs> tremendously interesting, just how how those things change and eventually flux until it's like, uh, well, this is not at all something that we're used to. Right. Well, I, you know, the Japanese are sort of the, 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 the global kings of taking a cultural thing from other people and then turning it into their own, you know, unique version of it. Um, <laughs> I've seen, like, entire documentaries about how they've done that with you know, art forms and music and, and you know, uh, a different, you know, like pop music and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, no, KFC Japan is one of my holiday obsessions. Like, I I, I, I love that, that that it's such a big deal there and that people pre-order their, their dinners and you get it with, like, champagne and a cake and it's a whole thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but you look at these films and, and if you're really paying attention, I think you kind of notice the sort of granular details of, like, oh, they do this or they – this is part of the dinner or like, you know, again, I, I grew up in a Spanish household. Our big dinner was on Christmas Eve, you know, cause it's Noche Buena and, uh, and other, you know, obviously in the U S it's more about on the 25th is when you have your big dinner. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think everybody kind of brings their own stuff to the table and you have to sort of just, you know, take it in and realize, okay, well, this is how they do it. And, you know, uh, I have yet to see like, a Dutch Christmas movie where, you know, they have the whole thing with, you know, they have Santa showing up uh, with like 
six to eight black men or whatever. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole great David Sedaris story about that. I don't, maybe there is a movie. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I would love to see if, if, if that's a thing they still try and get away with or they've all sort of collectively decided, yeah, this was embarrassing. Let's not talk about <laughs> That um, and, and I saw something on <clears throat> on the news the other day about how there's there's now a younger generation in the Netherlands kind of coming up and protesting that, and it, you know, oh, the the age old story that we're seeing play out here is people kind of pushing back an older generation, like, well, no, it's it's tradition. We can't we can't get rid of this. It's like, um, I mean, you can. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's why we, it's why we don't see white Christmas on t- or why you don't see holiday in on television anymore. There's that whole blackface issue. <laughs> oh, good God. But all right. So I guess uh, why don't we get into uh, in, into the, the, the main event, what everybody w- is here for the uh, the recommendations. And of course, Alonzo, you can you are free to do them in any order you prefer, whether you want to kind of move across the globe geographically or whether you want to do it in, in chronology of its release, it's entirely up to you. But I do need to start with your first recommendation being. Well, that would be A, a Christmas Tale okay. uh, directed by Arnaud de Plachon from mm-hmm. 2008. Uh, it is available on Amazon Prime. Um, I believe it's also on the Criterion channel, or at least it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. And that was the first one I thought of when you said foreign language Christmas movies, because this is one of my absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Catherine Deneuve plays a matriarch of a French family. Um, she has a disease that would require a bone marrow transplant. Um, and traditionally, it's the sort of thing that parents do for their children when the when the child is sick. And she, in a thing that is very indicative of her character, basically says, uh, look, you all owe me your lives, so one of you has got to give me your bone marrow. <laughs> and so that that's a, sort of the impetus, part of the impetus, besides it being Christmas, for the entire family to come together, including the sort of black sheep son who's been exiled from the family, played by Mathieu Amalric, mm-hmm. uh, um, who has never had a very good relationship with her, but it turns out he's the one with the compatible uh, tissue. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there there is a shameless... Uh, Subgenre that I call Mommy Dies at Christmas. Uh, <laughs> it's like Stepmom and the Family Stone, and, and usually that can come up as really mawkish. And this movie is so acrid that there is, there's not like an ounce of sentimentality about it. Like Catherine Deneuve just tells it like she sees it and, and is super blunt with her kids, especially with Amalric. Uh, and then you have all these other stories going on. You have Amalric's sister, who's kind of the one who sort of engineered his exile. Uh, there have they have a uh, this or their kind of puppyish younger brother played by uh, Melville Poupeau. Um, you know, uh, uh, Cara Mastroianni pops up in it. There's a it's a really terrific cast, and it's a, it's the kind of movie where I'm always noticing new details when I see it again because it's so jam packed with people and subplots and references to things that happened in their past. But what's also great about it is that. I find my allegiances shift every time I watch it as well. Sometimes I'll watch it, I'll think, oh, the sister, she's the worst, you know, how dare she? And then other times I think, mm, no, actually, she's got a point, you know? <laughs> uh, which I think really says a lot about the, 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 the intelligence of the writing and the directing and the acting, that this isn't just about, like, good guys and bad guys. Like, people do terrible things, people do, you know, generous things, um, and it just... Really, you know, I, I love a dysfunctional family Christmas movie. That's one of my favorite sort of subgenres of all this, and and this is definitely one of the best. Well, and, and and we think of like a dysfunctional family Christmas movie, and we kind of think of something like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where everything kind of um, there's there's 
you know, people are kind of mean to each other, but there's still a heart at the core. And then obviously there's like a happy ending. And, and seeing as you use the term acrid, uh, it doesn't <laughs> seem like that's uh, that's the case here. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't want to, this movie isn't, it's not, it's certainly not depressing. It is very funny. Um, and I think there are some sort of hard won emotional moments, but yeah, it definitely doesn't tie everything into a nice bow and, and end in a group hug. <laughs> and and I, I must admit, I, I saw this film when it first came out, but that was what, 11 years ago now. Um, yeah. and I, and if I, I don't think I'm remembering this correctly, there was some type of subplot where one of the relatives got married to someone, but someone from the family was always kind of pining for this woman for his entire life. So he, yes, he's basically given the woman at the end. It's not that the, the, you're not. I mean, that that's a subplot, but I think the, the, she has full agency. If, if, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, it was it was uh, eleven years ago, and I think. Um, that that's a, a different story, but I just remember because I, I was when I asked you for for foreign language ones, I was a little bit worried that you'd recommend this one because I <laughs> I have a memory of not liking it, but also it was eleven years ago, and on this very same podcast, um, I've revisited things in the past. Like I hated Crimson Peak when I first saw it, and then I rewatched it again for this. I'm like, oh no, actually, that's a brilliant movie. Yeah, we we age, we change, we see we we. We see more of life in the world, and, and we, you know, things we used to think were great, we are now kind of embarrassed by, and things we didn't get before now suddenly make perfect sense. Yes, I, I'm happy to say I no longer have a copy of the Boondock Saints on my DVD rack. So, <laughs> so, so we all go through growth, and we all go through changes. Um, so we have that's the first one, a, a Christmas Tale from 2008. So, okay, now now that now that the one that I was afraid of, we've gotten that one out of the way. Um, let's move on to the next one, and then once again, I should say. I wasn't actually afraid. I was more of um, I, I I never liked to. I well, not that I never liked to, but I'm always a little bit afraid of revisiting things that I had strong opinions about, and then kind of realize like, yep, I was wrong. <laughs> well, I'll be fascinated to see how this goes. For yes. You. Okay. So, uh, recommendation number two. What you got for me? Well, weirdly enough, this one the subtitle is a Christmas tale, but the title is Rare Exports. Ah, okay. A a what? You don't like this one either? No, no, I I. I heard about it um have i oh okay this is another one that i've seen a, a long time ago but i this this is one that i'm i'm excited to revisit because i remember liking it when i first saw it okay cool yeah this is a, a very fun uh horror film and and it's funny like i i am not a horror guy and you know doing a horror chapter for the book really kind of made me like look at things that i was not <laughs> always dying to look at. And this one sadly came out right after the book came out, so I didn't get to include it, but I'm a big fan of it. Um, so this is a Finnish uh, film mm -hmm. about an American uh, petroleum digging crew uh, that accidentally uh, uncovers uh, the gravesite of what might or might not be Santa Claus. <laughs> and uh, whatever was in that gravesite is uh, is up and running and unhappy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I do, because uh, this was one that sort of, um, I don't know if it was uh, film Twitter yet in 2010, but at least the blogosphere was very um, enthralled by this one, because I think uh, I, I think because of a sort of a, a little bit of gleeful um, gleefulness in how maybe cynical this movie is when it comes to these these Christmas icons, or I, I don't know, there, there seems to be any time that you can add darkness to something which is, has quintessentially and historically been seen as so light and airy. There seems to be sure. a certain contingency which is very excited about that. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, we, you know, we've seen the sort of rise of Krampus in this country in the last decade or so. Uh, that has a lot to do with it, too, because, uh, yeah, I, I think that we have managed to homogenize Santa Claus so successfully over the past century or so. But, yeah, if you start digging into certain countries and how they do it, there is, you know, he does have a flip side. He does have, like, you know, this other guy who goes around with a bag of sticks and, you know, punishes all the children and takes them away, you know. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, this movie, I think, yeah, it does kind of dig into the darker aspects of of, of the Santa Claus mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's a really, it's a, it just, it, 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 it is darkly funny at times, but it's, it is effectively kind of creepy and unsettling at the same time and and has some funny things to say about Christmas iconography and I think you know in general you could make a case that anything that is ancient that becomes sort of legendary you know you could certainly look at a lot of religions this way that we've managed to like turn um, this modern version into something that's sort of bland and palatable and 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 accessible and safer and then if you go back and stare the original in the face you know you get a much darker version it's like when um uh, Julia Sweeney in 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 her in her one woman show Get Letting Go of God talks about really reading the Bible for the first time, which as a Catholic she'd never been encouraged to do. Sure, and yeah, you know, like Jesus was really kind of obnoxious, you know, and he <laughs> told you know, told the disciples to like ditch their parents and follow him, and you know he condemned a fig tree to death, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, these aspects of him that we don't really talk about in the general parlance. And so this movie kind of does that for Santa Claus. And now I, I recognize I'm going to ask you this question when you yourself are not Finnish or of Finnish descent. But <laughs> is this something which is kind of more, the story is sort of more based in their mythology and legend in them? Or is this more of a sort of like a, a cultural take on, on an archetype? Because I know, and I'm being incredibly general here and i apologize for that but also if you look at um specifically music and and like a genre like uh you know metal you have the nordic the nordic countries which has kind of a scary element of like you know twisted black metal that like is is not just so much a a uh, a genre but also kind of a, a lifestyle in a way that they approach certain things which i re- recognize also is a a smaller contingency of people and you can't say that about you know an entire country uh, I don't know specifically about Finland, but I do know that a lot of critics pointed out that this does capture a more sort of Northern European take on on the Santa legend. And it's interesting, actually, because the uh, Laplanders specifically pop up in both in, in movies we talked about earlier, both in Klaus and in um in Noel and and their their specific kind of winter wear and that sort of thing and I think this movie does take more of a Laplander take on Santa Claus which is you know that there is a little bit more of a of a dark side there well, and, but I'm I'm not an expert so I couldn't say for sure right and, and I also do kind of like the idea of uh, I mean especially a, a a country and a society that has has existed long before what we are thinking of as American society um, and, and that the, the quote from Harvey Dent you either uh, die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain and just eventually getting to a point where it's sort of like listen we've uh, we've done all we can with this and everyone's done everything else uh, let's let's do something different here yeah i mean it, it is basically sort of uh let's let let's let's put a little spin on it and uh, and they they do that very well <laughs> okay okay so we got a uh, we're, we're moving into into darker territory here we got uh with rare exports so what have you got for um your final recommendation here well um <coughs> excuse me also dark, but in a different way, uh, the 2006 film Dans Paris, 
uh, is streaming on Hulu. Okay. And uh, it is uh, directed by Christophe Honoré, uh, who is probably best known for. Well, he recently had a film called Sorry Angel. I think actually was this past either this past year or last year. I forget when it opened in the states, but. Okay. He is a, a well-known uh, French writer-director, and this film stars Louis Garrel, who is about to be seen in the uh, new Greta Gerwig, Little Women. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he and Romain Dury play two brothers, and they are, as the title suggests, in Paris, and it's Christmas time. And uh, one of the brothers is extremely, extremely depressed, and the other one is sort of trying to, you know— lift his spirits and and make him sort of re-embrace life once again. And um, so, you know, this is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of French films, I think, that use the holiday season as a way to sort of explore, you know, unhappiness and, and you know, the darker aspects of, you know, human existence. And, uh, you know, there were, there were, quite a few of them that I, I had considered but could not find streaming in the U.S., like, you know, not just La Buche, but, um, uh, you know, Eric Romer's My Night at Mods, which I think might be on Criterion, but it's not otherwise available. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a, a great comedy called uh, Le Père Noël est une ordure, which is like Santa is a stinker or something even more uh, uh, profane, depending on the translation, which was remade very badly as Mixed Nuts. Uh, but the original is really good. Oh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, but yeah, so so Don Perry is, you know, it is it is set at the Yuletide. You see glimmers of Christmas around every corner, but at the same time it is about, you know, two brothers sort of dealing with kind of heavy emotional issues and and one of them is very much kind of sunk into a funk. This sounds like it almost could have fit for uh the theme last year that you did for me where uh, where it was like offbeat Christmas movies and we're sort of like uh, you know, stuff happened a- around Christmas, but there wasn't so much the the focus wasn't on it as much. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of movies that kind of fit into that category. And, you know, I, I think that, that a lot of times, uh, like you said, it, it's so hard to not present Christmas as being something that's so like upbeat and cheery and, you know, family friendly and, you know, that kind of stuff that it becomes a, a great counterpoint for directors to use. I mean, I went back and revisited eyes wide shut this year for the the 20th anniversary and no, it's in the book and I had seen it and I was already thinking about it as a Christmas movie, but boy, you watch that movie and it's in the same way that Hallmark does it, where every time somebody enters into a new room, there is trees and garland and gifts and twinkle lights and like Kubrick just pours it on, you know, I think with the, with the exception of the orgy, every new room is like, completely festooned for the holidays and you know kubrick as we know does nothing by accident so mm-hmm. uh you know he's very much using that as a counterpoint to the story that he's telling and um you know i i think this movie does does kind of the same thing because you know there's nothing worse when you're feeling depressed than other people being in a great mood and so <laughs> surrounded by like you know aggressive commercialized cheer, you know, could be, I think, really devastating. Yeah, there's there's something cathartic about that, I suppose. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's a universe out there where, just like they inserted digital people into the orgy scene, I wonder if they dabble with, like, well, why don't we insert some trees or something in the corner here? <laughs> it's, just, it's just too dark. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure they, they came that way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you may be right about that one. So, and, and, and of all three recognitions, this is the only one, so obviously I've seen both uh the first two that's that's quite a rarity on on this uh podcast i have to say uh and so this is don perry is the first one where uh, i've never heard of this i'd never even heard of the writer director until you had brought him up here 
Oh, cool. Okay. He, yeah, he's a, a really interesting filmmaker. Uh, Sorry Angel uh, is, you know, uh, one of the better, like, LGBT films from the last year or two. And, and I think approaches, uh, you know, it, it, we're in this interesting place right now in terms of getting way off the Christmas path. Um, you, we're seeing this sort of new resurgence of movies talking about HIV and AIDS in a way that we haven't before. I think you had a lot, you had a few films that were happening sort of in the midst of the crisis when things were at their worst, and not that that you know that, that it's gone away, but it's it's become a lot more treatable. You're seeing a lot fewer, you know, it, we're not dealing with like this massive scale of death on a weekly basis, at least in the Western world, mm-hmm. because you know advances in, 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 you know, medicines and whatnot. And so now I think enough time has passed in the same way that people talk about how you didn't really start seeing a lot of movies and TV shows dealing with the Holocaust until the 70s because you needed that sort of gap of time to kind of have any sort of context or perspective. We're now starting to get, you know, movies that look at HIV and AIDS that way, which uh, his film Sorry Angel is one of them. Mm. But uh, in general, I think he's, he's, he's a, a, you know, he's very much a, a humanist and a, a very sharp dramatist. And, and uh, you know, I, I like his films a lot. Interesting. Well, we'll see how how this one goes. This one will be, of course, based on the order that Alonzo has recommended. And then this one will be the last one. So right right before uh, Christmas, I think, is when I'll, I'll be t- tackling this one. So let's see how that uh, how that mixes together with the general mood and tone of the holiday season, and then sitting down to watch uh, this one. So um, ho ho ho. <laughs> um, as a recap, we've got um, a Christmas tale from France. We've got rare exports from Finland, and then we've got Don Paris. Uh, from France as well. So um, I think we, it, it's uh, probably a good time to wrap it up. I know we've both got some things to tend to. So um, Alonzo, if if, uh, if people have not been listening to the past three Christmases here, um, where can people find you? How can people find uh, get more engaged with, with the stuff that you do? Sure. Well, um, I'm on Twitter at A Duralde, A-D as in David, U-R-A-L-D-E. And I pretty much talk about... Everything I'm doing there and link to stuff, but you can read me at The Wrap. Um, my book is Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, and I am a co-host of the podcasts Linoleum Knife, Who Shot Ya, and Breakfast All Day. Oh, that's right. I, I, I apologize for not mentioning the other podcasts. Can you, can you give just a little bit of a rundown of the other two that you do? Sure. Uh, Linoleum Knife is the one I do with my husband. He's also a film critic, and we've been doing it for uh, more than nine years now. Uh, then uh, Who Shot Ya is a show on the Maximum Fun Network, uh, where it's me and Ify Wadaway and Drea Clark, and it is a movie review show that is not a bunch of straight white guys, no offense. <laughs> uh, and then Breakfast All Day is uh, me and Christy Lemire and Matt Achety, and sometimes Ben Mankiewicz, uh, basically keeping the, uh, the What the Flick flame uh, burning. Very nice. Um, and of course, it is always easy enough to get in touch with me you can shoot me an email at you do movies badly at gmail.com you can find me uh, on twitter at nolan fixes teeth um of course battleship pretension to catch up on back episodes of i do movies badly as well as i do movies badly dot um and i think that's mostly it i'll have to plug one more time i do a, a, another podcast the cast of cthulhu in which james mccormick and i review cinematic adaptations of hp lovecraft which is a lot of fun um and also quite terrible because of how frequently they are quite terrible adaptations but um alonzo thank you again so much for for joining i'm i'm very much uh excited do you have um do you have any special holiday plans anything uh special that you're doing for celebrating or is it just going to be kind of a, a low-key christmas for you and, and the mister Oh uh, yeah, we'll be staying home uh, do, doing our, our la christmas and you know like my parents did we have the big dinner on the 24th mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, I, t I tend to do a lot of other people's podcasts at this time of year because of the book. So, sure. you know, for me elsewhere. Uh, and if you're in the Southern California area, uh, I will be selling and signing books at Christmas Land Experience on the 15th. And on December 7th, I'll be at one of the public libraries in Santa Monica doing a 70th anniversary screening of a Holiday Affair with uh, Robert Mitchum and Janet Lee. So come check that out. Okay. Well, and it is um, quite early at this point, but seeing as I probably... Uh, won't won't be at any of those events or, or or seeing you, Alonso. I will wish you and and your husband a merry Christmas. Uh, quite early. Um, merry Christmas to you. Yeah, it's wonderful. And and of of course, listeners, um, be sure to tune in next week where I will be reviewing a Christmas tale, and hopefully, I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.